Judge not that you be not judged. These words of Christ in in Matthew 7 are used by too many in our circle to silence judgment that we may have about a person's lifestyle and behavior. We hear it all the time. I know you do too. But as we begin this this, uh, topic from James 4 on judging, I want us to define right from the beginning what judging is. The, the word in the New Testament language means to distinguish or to decide or to make a conclusion or to determine. And that is a meaning that, that you will find in, in any dictionary. It's a forming of an opinion on something or someone and then making a conclusion about that opinion that you have formed. Uh, we, are, we are doing this all the time. We make purchases. We evaluate people we work with. We have career choices. We find a spouse. We make a judgment. I was sitting at the women's game Thursday night with my wife and our granddaughters. And um, all of a sudden during this one, you're, we're, we're assessing people. We just do that. We look around. We're looking at different things going on in, 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 the, in the Carver Hawkeye. You, you're making judgments and values as you, as you see what's going on. And during this one dance cam kind of between, during a timeout, there's this, this really peppy song came on, and I noticed that everyone was mouthing the words. And I had never heard it. And I looked at my 11-year-old granddaughter, and she's just singing right along with the words. And I said, who is that singing? And she goes, Grandpa, that's Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, and I made an opinion and a value about the music and that person and everyone's singing. And I'm thinking, like, I could go better with Earth, Wind, and Fire and Stevie Wonder. We make judgments. We make, we make value statements all the time. We are in this business. What does the word of God say? Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. We are not to judge. It's pretty clear. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, Paul writes, is it not for those inside the church that you are to judge as they walk in faith and they may be in sin? Are you not to judge those within the church? So how do do we reconcile both of these commands? Let's find out this morning. James is sometimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It is practical in the reminders of how to live out our Christian life. The word for wisdom, hakma, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, that definition carries over to the New Testament as this, doing the right thing at the right time. And that often involves saying the right thing at the right time. That's the wisdom of of everyday life. It's knowing and judging, making the right determination. That is, what should I do? What should I say in this moment? That is doing what is right. That's biblical wisdom, knowing ahead what I need to do and obeying that and saying or doing the right thing. That's wisdom. So James is, in the progression of these proverbs, so to speak, in his book, I want us to review just briefly and see the thread of the use of the tongue. 
119, let every person be quick to hear and, and slow to speak and slow to anger. If anyone thinks he is religious, in verse 26, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Chapter 2, the sins of partiality. You say to the poor man, you sit here or sit at my feet, and you honor the rich man. Are you not judging, making a judgment about them? Chapter 3, we are to seek then wisdom from above. After the whole section on taming the tongue, this, this tiny little member of our body, what, what fires it can, it can engulf, and it can engulf a whole forest, a whole congregation, just by the use of the tongue. Then in chapter 4, we get to the heart of the matter of the tongue, and we see fighting and quarreling and impassions from within us in verses 1 through 3. And it causes us to covet and to just fight one another with envy. And we ask for the wrong things. And then 4 and 5, we are reminded in chapter 4 that we are to treat sin seriously. And then last week, and Matthew brought us 6 through 10 the understanding and pride that we keep God at arm's length and we are called on to draw near and to cleanse our, our hands and we are to turn our, our joy into sorrow and we are to weep and see be so broken by our sin. And God two times calls us to be humble. What is he talking about in those verses? He's saying we must repent. If we are drawing near to God and cleansing our hands and being humbled by, by our own sin and by God's holiness, we are repenting of our sin. And for a lifestyle of wisdom and the control of our mouths, it reflects our hearts set on God. That is, we are to walk in humility before God every single day. And when we walk before God every single day in humility, that will influence our speech. It will influence how we respond to people and situations around us. But the point of the first few verses of chapter 4 and 6 through 10 is this vertical relationship before God that we must get right. There has to be this understanding that we, as we draw near to God, that is first and foremost above all, and we know that. You've, we've heard that every single Sunday that you're worshiping here. Our relationship with God is a priority. If you miss that, everything else is going to fall away. So then our relationship with God is that priority. Then it has horizontal ramifications and we see it in the whole book of james faith without works is dead there's a reality of our faith that must take place and be shown in our life and it's shown very acutely right here in verses 11 and 12 let's read do not speak evil against one another brothers the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you 
to judge your neighbor. I think looking at verses 6 through 10 and now 11 and 12, there is a echoed here the great commandment given by Christ in Matthew 7. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment. And then verses 11 and 12 and the second is, is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. We need to just reflect on that a moment. Because one of the scribes in Mark chapter 12, when he quoted that, the Lord said to him, you are not far from the kingdom because you state those two truths and said they are above all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, the whole system of the Old Testament pointing towards Christ. And Jesus said to him, you have got it because we are to have God as our prize and the person we alone worship. And then there's a reflection in our lives that just exudes out in our horizontal relationships in life. This is the essence of our Christianity. Love God, love your neighbor. Both inseparable in our faith, identical twins in our walk with Christ. We have, we have twins here this morning. Those things are not separable in the word of God. Love without God, without love for your neighbor is either disobedience or a faith without works that is in reality dead. Love of your neighbor without a priority of a love of God is works without faith. Love without depth, love without purpose, sentimental, humanistic in its focus. And in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we are told another imperative that reflects on all we are in this relationship that we are to have with one another. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters in the original. The verb speak against means don't speak down, don't speak evil, don't defame, don't denigrate or slander, such as the quarrels and fights that that we saw there in, in verses 1, 2, and 3. They're fighting each other, and they're, they're envious, and they're jealous, and they're going at each other, and they're asking for the wrong things. But this word is more than just slander, which means the use of false or malicious statements to ruin a person. The word is used to refer to any form of speaking against a person. And grammatically, It's the present imperative that forbids the continuation of a practice already in progress. And James has said, you guys are fighting and quarreling and you're speaking against one another. Do not do that. For the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. And judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I want us to understand this 
that a defamatory word may be perfectly true. We do not need to tell lies in order to hurt somebody, to make them feel less than, to denigrate them. But the fact that it is true does not give us a right to say it. True or false, it makes us superior. And it's an attitude of the heart that want to makes you lower than me. You're Cyclone fans. I'm Hawk fans. I'm denigrating you. You know, there's a sense of, and, and in all of our life, we have this sense, this hard attitude that says, I am better than, and I will tell whatever I need to tell to make sure everyone knows that and that you know that. Judging again is that distinguished to decide, to make a conclusion, to determine, but then with an attitude of our heart to try them in the court of our private opinion. I am making a determination. I am going to dismiss them. I'm going to condemn them. I'm going to reject them about something that I have formed in my mind about you. I like what one commentator says in the book of James. He said, speaking against a brother is forbidden, not just as a breach of truth, nor not necessarily even as a a breach of love, but it is a breach of humility. If we are really low before God, verses 6 through 10, we have no altitude in which to speak down and against our brother. It's pride of the heart, the sin from the beginning that continues to rise and rise again in the heart of brothers and sisters. So judge or not to judge, a little bit of clarity, kind of a parathetical understanding. This could be a whole sermon right here, all right? James is not forgetting that Christians are to make judgments about others or to tell them what they need to hear as the children of God. Judge not that you be not judged. Matthew 7 is often communicated often communicated that we are never to judge. But what does that passage actually say? say? Write this down and I'll just read it for us now. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Just think of that in cartoonish character. All right, you got this massive sin, but you're going to poke out something smaller in someone else's eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Understanding, judging in the context, the point is that Jesus is directing the prohibition to people who are overlooking what's in their own eyes while judging others and Christ is not forbidding judgment. Rather, he forbids sinners from exercising 
it while refusing to deal with the sin in their own lives. It is so clear in Scripture that we have a duty to exercise judgment. There's false prophets. There's adultery. There's murder. There's lying. There's gossip. Look through the sins of the flesh in Galatians 5. We can see these things in one another's lives from time to time. 1 Corinthians 5, I mentioned that earlier, judging sin within the church. You see a brother or sister in sin, we have a responsibility before Christ to act. James 5, 19 and 20, the last two verses of this great book. Someone wanders from the truth and is in sin, go grab them back. You're making a judgment. You're bringing them back to the faith. The question that we all have is what is the difference between right and wrong judging? What does it mean to be judgmental? And then what is righteous judging? Just a few things I want to point out this morning. We make a judgment called falsely based on appearances, where righteous judging is facts and truth. Even Christ said in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. Talk to the Pharisees when he healed a man on the Sabbath. You're missing the point. I remember going to college in Denver, and this is right after the, the big Jesus revolution in California. And a lot of long-haired hippies were coming to the mountains in their vans. And Nancy and I got married in Iowa. We went to school in Denver, and we pl- I played soccer on that team. And, and all these great young men who had ponytails and headbands. And uh, we played a very conservative college one weekend called Baptist Bible College. And they thought we were kids from hell because of our appearance. And I remember after that game thinking, you guys don't even know how much these guys love Jesus and how passionate they are about the gospel. And you've made a determination about my colleagues, my brothers on the team, because they have long hair and you don't. And besides, we whipped your butt, so be quiet. But I went to church with two of those guys from Baptist Bible College. And we, we worshiped together and learned to realize the differences. He wasn't a skinhead and I wasn't a hippie. We both loved Jesus. Appearances can destroy unity. But you deal with facts and truth. Are they followers of Jesus? Are they in the gospel? Do they love him? The second way we can be judgmental is personal preferences and standards versus principles and truth. How often those principles that we have of our own standards, our personal preferences, overshadow truth. I, for the life of me, don't know why a human being would want to get a tattoo. I just don't. That's a preference that will never happen in this body because it's good enough as it is. 
But then one of the younger brothers at, at, at uh, Veritas Cedar Rapids said, you know, Richard, Jesus comes in Matthew at, uh, at Revelation 19 with a tattoo on his thigh. Read it. King of kings and Lord of lords on the thigh of the Messiah. Now that may be stretching it, but it's there. We cannot let preferences overshadow principles of truth and use that for a test of fellowship and respect and honor. We cannot do that. When we are being judgmental, we have pride versus humility. I believe this way, therefore you should, therefore I'm better than you. See, that's a hard issue. Galatians 6, 1, restore in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Great passage. Meditate on Galatians 6, 1 through 5 this week. Sin is to be dealt with, but a spirit in which we handle it is gentle and humble and gracious. We are judgmental when we tell others, true or not, what we think about a person. Righteous judgment is going to the person alone. I'm going into a high V, get some food on a Friday night, and I see Matthew coming out of the spirit section with two bottles of bourbon. I form an opinion. He must be sick. (laughs) Little wine for the stomach's sake? He must be really sick. Two nights later, I'm going the same thing, and I see him coming out again. But two more bottles, two nights later. And I make a judgment. Scripture says I don't tell anybody about that. I don't go to someone else and say, you know what I saw Matthew doing? What do I do? I go to Matthew and Matthew alone and find out what's taking place. Because I love him. I want him honored. And they will share the bourbon. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's just, just a crazy illustration. But you know, we do, we do that all the time, the people of God do that too much. I want to read just a story from the, in, the life of insects. That I want us to get how important this is that we do not speak down against a brother or sister. Walter Wagerin had an illustration from the life of spiders. He explains that a female spider is often a widow for embarrassing reasons. She regularly eats those who come her way. Lonely suitors and visitors alike quickly become corpses in her dining room that becomes a morgue. A visiting fly, having become captive, will be granted the illusion of wholeness. 
but she will have drunk his insides so that he has become his own hollow casket. Reason for this is that she has no stomach and is so incapable of digesting anything within her. And through tiny punctures, she injects her digestive juices into a fly so that his insides are broken down and turned into a warm soup. And it's this soup she swills. Even as most of us swill soups of one another after having cooked them in various enzymes of guilt and humiliations and subjectives and cruel love, there are a number of fine acidic mixes. And some among us are so skilled with the hypodermic word that our dear ones continue to sit up and smile quite as though they are they were still alive. That's gross, I know. But you you won't forget that. Because words can eat a person alive. And they act like they're in unity. They act like they're in fellowship. But they have been broken from within inside because of the words that you used or the words that they heard from someone else that breaks them. And James says, do not speak like this to your brother or sister. Why? Why is this so important? There's four views that we need to have. We need to change our perspective. Look at the verses again, how we, number one, how we view each other. James says, we are brothers We are sisters together in this faith. We are neighbors. Four verses and four words in those two verses about our relationship. In fact, the first verse and first first phrase in verse 11 do not speak evil against one another, brothers. It just drops off the end of that phrase how important this is. We are children of of the same father. I think of verse 18 in chapter 1, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, all of us. None of us are firstborn with certain rights above another. We are simply co-equal family members in one context by his calling and by his grace. And then he calls us neighbor. Literally, the one who is near. Luke chapter 10, the good Samaritan, the love that sees a need and reaches out and sacrifices and cares and goes the extra mile and pays money and, and all those things for neighbor. That's who we are to one another. How can we then say those things and form those opinions about one another? Secondly, it's how we view the law. In reality, when we do this, we are speaking against the law of God. The whole word of God is in view here. We break the law which we were meant to obey. We are commanded to love. 
But we respond by talking down and defaming and slandering. But more sober than this, we set ourselves up better than the law. We are, in effect, James is saying, judging the law. The law is no longer expressing the highest value as far as we are concerned in our interpretation. We know what is right here, and we're talking down to our brothers and sisters because we now have become the law. We are no longer than a doer of the law, he says, but a judge. And we seek to replace God's authority with our own. Third view is this, how we view God. How we view God. We are displacing God and placing ourselves on the throne as judge. It's more than disobeying the law. It's more than disputing his authority. That's bad enough. But if James 2, 8 through 13 is a reflection of all of scripture, we are to see that the law is expression of who and what he is. No better place than Exodus 20. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So by giving us his commands and by obeying them, we are to fashion our lives in his image, and they then, the law, the word of God, are for our good. But more importantly, for his glory. I am the God who brought you out of slavery. The principles of his divine nature, his commands are expressed in commands and precepts for you and I so that the life of this God of the universe is seen in our lives as we walk, as we obey, as we talk and treat one another. That is why this is so important. If we disobey his law, we make our own judgments and it is to contradict him. We elbow him off his throne. We are the other gods. The question for us then is what happened? What happened to the humility before God that is the very essence of all that we are? the essence and the key to wisdom, it absolutely disappears with judging and speaking against one another. That's why this is so important. We do not have the right to speak against our brother and sister in a judgmental spirit. Fourth view is how we view ourselves. Look at verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I prefer to see that question in a positive pastoral way where James is saying, who are you to judge your neighbor? 
How do we answer that question? How do we respond to that personally? Am I a person seeking to walk in humility that God desires? Is he on the throne of my life? Who am I but in him my judge, the one lawgiver, my God, my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ? All those names are in this book. If he is the lawgiver, he is the judge, he can save and destroy. Who do I think I am? to speak against someone that he died for. If I love God, how can I wrongly judge my brother whom I love and God loves deeply? I just want us to look at a few final thoughts about judging our brothers and sisters and what that looks like and should look like and should not look like. Because we need to have a unity in the body and such relationships in the body that all around us will know, John 13, that we belong to Jesus. And speaking against one another doesn't cut it. We become God. So a big idea this morning is this. In loving humility, always speak for one another. For God alone is our judge. In loving humility, always speak for one another. For God alone is our judge. So what does it look like in our lives as we wrap up this morning? Four things. We need to love God fully. We need to have the benediction and the anthem of Scripture to him be the power and the glory forever. Amen. That anthem of praise and worship should, if I open my eyes, should turn to my brothers and sisters. That I see that I'm worshiping God by honoring you rightly. Love God fully. Draw near to him. See him. See him alone as the prize of life and eternity. And this God knows who I am. And he has placed me in his family where I get to deal with one another. And what a privilege it is, but I love him first and fully. And this God wants to be seen in my life. The things he asks me to do, commands me to do, are for my good and his glory. Notice, for my good. But he gets the glory as I obey. Second thing, look in the mirror first. Matthew 7, look at your own log. Romans 14, 10, Paul says, why do you judge your brother? We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That makes us repent that makes us be humble. And we only judge one another in this humility. We need accountability from those who love us and humbly dare speak into our lives, but please do it in humility and brokenness, understanding your own sin and go gently, 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 gently. Third thing, we need to love one another freely in our humility, we in love serve one another. We will only do and speak to others what we want them to do and say about us. Guard your tongue. Be careful. 
not to speak a word against a brother or sister. Be careful. I remember back in those college days when I was taking stats later on on the team and I was sitting at the main scorer's table next to our coach and there was a ref at that game who was screwing it up. He was making bad calls. And I laid into him every time he came over to the bench. It finally got so bad, he came over, blew his whistle, stood with face-to-face with his finger right in my nose, said, young man, if you don't shut your mouth, I'm going to kick you out of the gym. I don't care if you're the stats for your team. No more. That was Saturday afternoon. Sunday morning, he was an usher at church. I'd never seen him before until that Sunday. Whoa. We became good friends after I confessed. Love one another freely in humility. In love, we serve one another. And if you're on the receiving end of being wrongly judged, be assured of your identity in Christ when someone speaks against you. Because God alone is your judge. Don't be driven off the rails by bitterness, even when your brother or sister speaks against you. Forgive them. Love them. Even when they broke you and don't see it yet. The fourth thing helps us with that. We can look at one another through the cross of Christ forgiven. I need to look at someone who has wronged me through the cross of Christ forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ says, partake of my body and blood. John 6, this is for you. Eat and drink. And Paul says, do this in remembrance of me. Do you think about that as we partake together this morning? When you take that bread and you dip it into that cup, the hand of your brothers and sisters is in that same cup. And that same loaf of bread, whom Christ died for. And we have no right in obedience and our humility to have any words against them in a negative, sinful, prideful way. They are my brother and sister. We are saved by the body and the blood of Jesus. And that view should dissipate the tendency and the pride to put somebody down, but should elevate them and us together the beauty of our salvation together because of what Christ has done for us. Can I pray for us? Father, we we love you. We love your word. 
And in this, you tell us to love one another, to honor, not speak down, to realize that you alone are our judge. And you give us guidelines and holiness to love and care and rebuke for one another. So we thank you for your word, the truth of it. Father, if there's anyone here that has ought against their brother or sister in Christ, that they would leave their gift at the altar. They would not participate in communion until in their spirit they're at one with you and one with their brother and sister. Help us to see the beauty of this and the reflection of the gospel that it is when we honor one another in this way. Help us to speak for one another because of your work for us in grace, in judgment of our sins at the cross. And now we have your righteousness. We thank you for the truth. Father, give us strength and grace as we live it out. In Jesus' name.